Jesus transforms our lives, transforms the everyday of what we're doing. Um, and I think this is so exciting because uh, I remember becoming a Christian and, and realizing that, that this wasn't just a Sunday thing. This was an everyday of my life thing. Uh, and, and it's so wonderful that not only does God put life in our lives, um, but he also um, lets us share this amazing life with others around us. Uh, and so it is such a joy. So we are, we are talking about influence and flourishing Another word for influence might be power, so I'm going to kind of use them interchangeably throughout our time together. But we're quite, um, as a culture, we find it really weird talking about influence, talking about power. All right? we're, this isn't something we're wonderfully confident about. In fact, even when I was writing this, something in me felt, ah, let's just not use the word power, let's just use the word influence, it's a bit softer, it's a bit nicer. But the reality is, power happens. Uh, it happens in our world. We're all in, using influence and power in some way or another, uh, and some of this maybe um, uh, some of this nervousness about using uh, power it stems from uh, in part from a guy called Frederick Nietzsche. I've got a fo- there we go. Look at that moustache! Isn't that amazing? That is glorious. And um, Frederick Nietzsche not only uh, fostered a glorious moustache, he also was a philosopher. And uh, one of the ideas he has was that. Um, power is power is fundamentally at its, at its base um, people dominating over one another. Uh, that the, they have um, what's called the conflict of wills, and its 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 power is used in a way that is fundamentally destructive. Uh, and so, essentially, we should try and avoid power where possible. And I think it's right for many of us to be a little bit nervous of power, um, whether it's uh, experiences we've had of maybe bosses who have misused power. And I've experienced that in my life. Or, or maybe we hear stories of, of fathers who use their uh, authority as a father to, to physically abuse their kids, right? to be violent in anger. Uh, and we see that authority, we think, wow, that's, that's terrible. Or, or maybe it's where we hear of um, institutions, politicians, policemen who use their, their power to line their own pockets. Right? There's so much stuff in the news at the moment about, the, about power being misused in our democracies uh, by people who, who, who have their own agendas on the side. Right? And, and, and so there is uh, naturally quite a nervousness to um, power. And uh, somewhere in the, in the 19th century, um, Sir John Dahlberg Acton said this, and I learned this in my politics A-level, and it's stuck with me ever since. Power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Power tends to corrupt. That's pretty negative. That's a pretty negative view of power, of influence, that essentially it's going to corrupt. It's going to mess you up. So where possible, just avoid it. Just avoid it. And that's the way that a lot of us can think. And our culture tries to shrug off this picture of power wherever possible. I don't know if you guys remember, but Beyonce did the halftime show at um, the Super Bowl a couple of years back. And it was, she made, uh, to, to be subtle, she made a gentle statement, shall we say that, right? But then someone asks her about it, and, and, and oh, so what did you mean with that? What was your intention? And like so many you know, musicians, they kind of just shrug it off and just say, it's art, it's art, it's open to interpretation. How could you interpret that any other way? You're trying to influence um, completely public opinion. And it's not to say it's a bad thing, but it's really interesting that we, we just pretend that we don't have any influence, right? And, and if I'd ask you, who are you influencing? What are you influencing people with? Well, we'd find that quite an awkward question. I don't really want to influence people. I don't want to really have authority over people, but we do. 
in, in, in the relationships we have, in the, in the roles we have, in the people we are. We influence the world around us. Um, and the Bible has plenty of pictures of power. Um, if we look at the story of the Bible, we begin in the very beginning. And the world was void. And God uses his power, uses his authority over matter and physics to create stuff. Uh, he, he created something out of nothing. He created order out of chaos. We see that um, he created all of these things that uh, everything needs to be exactly in place for the world to exist. There are, there are a phenomenal n- number of things that needed to line up for not only the earth to exist, but for life to exist. And not only life, abundant life. We have a world that is full of millions of species. There's almost a million species of insects alone. Like these, you know, we don't know half of them. Like, like when God created, he really created. He really went all out. He used power in a way that caused things to flourish. And flourish is a bit of an odd word. Um, someone actually made fun of me at the start of the meeting, saying I was going to use the word flourishing. What is this, the 18th century? It's a bit of, a, it's a bit of an old school word, but flourish essentially, essentially means to cause life, to cause life to exist. Uh, and God, like a... Like a diligent gardener, he, he has caused life to exist. And in Genesis 2, we see that he created man. He created man and woman in his image, not just to um, be alive and, and to reflect him, but also to create like he does. He, he calls us to, uh, to tend to the world and also to fill it and multiply. Uh, and, and we have this, um, this amazing picture of culture being created and that being a reflection of our God. So when Joe and his buddy um, get together and uh, make music and sing at weddings and stuff, they are reflecting God by creating. They are, they are reflecting God by, um, by creating culture. And we have this amazing privilege in whatever we do of creating culture, of, of influencing for the good. But the Bible um, doesn't just end there in the story of power. We see in Genesis 3 that the enemy comes into the world. We see, um, I think the Bible says, the snake was more crafty than any other creatures. And he uses his craftiness to mislead the, uh, the human beings. He questions what God said. He, he said, did God really say that? And he essentially says, God wanted to keep things from you. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And what we see is that Adam and Eve chose to sin against God. They chose to disobey God's commandments, his authority. And they chose to say, well, actually, I think we, we know better. We're going to eat of the, uh, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And from that moment, sin entered the world. And we see power in the way that God intended for it to be used changed. Right? Suddenly, the man and woman, they start actually uh, accusing each other. There's shame. They hide from God. So this relationship with God is damaged. This relationship with one another is damaged. And we start to have this quagmire, quagmire is a word, quagmire of what power is. It's broken people using power in ways that sometimes bless, sometimes hurt. And all the way through the Bible, all the way through the Old Testament, you have good kings who use power in good ways and bad kings who use power in bad ways. And, um, And essentially you can split power into two different groups. Either power that bears life, bears flourishing, or power that destroys life. And we see that when, with the, the story of the Gospels, the story of Jesus. We see um, big, uh, we two very different versions of power. 
whether, whether it's looking at um, Herod and when Jesus is born, Herod is the, the king at the time and he gets really insecure. He's really afraid that this new king he's heard about from other people is going to take over. And so he uses his power to kill all of these baby boys. It's a, it's a, it's a genocide in this town. And he uses his power in a way that crushes and destroys. Or, or maybe it's when we look, if we look at Cain and Abel, and um, Cain uses the trust his brother has in him to kill him. He uses his power, he uses his influence to kill him. It is ultimately broken power. And yet when we see Jesus, we see a different kind of power. We see when Jesus comes into the world that he comes as a servant. We see in John 13, it says this, Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but after you would you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Jesus says, the, the power I'm going to influence over you, I am going to wash you. Let me wash you. Let me serve you. And Peter's confused because he's like, well, you're the king. I, 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 you can't wash my feet. Well, washing of feet is a very, um, in, in that time, it was the lowest of the low jobs. You'd normally have a slave to do that. And, and Jesus said, no, 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 I'm going to take the position of a servant. And this fundamentally was the gospel is about. The gospel is about we can't do anything for God. We need him. And we see God step into um, human broken world and serve us. And not just in washing feet. He goes to a cross. He takes our sin on his shoulders and he dies in our place for our sin. But then he conquers death and he raises to life. And what we see is that God brings very much a flourishing power. Right? Even when he goes to the broken, the marginalized, the hurting, the sinful, and what does he do? He bears life in them, whether it's healing them, yeah? whether it's forgiving them. And you see, something. I love the stories of Jesus when he interacts with people. And you see people going from hopeless to hopeful. The woman at the well is a story I think I use literally every single time I speak because it's such a great story. But essentially, it's, it's, it's a woman who um, is at this well because she's shameful. She's full of guilt. She's full of fear. And Jesus goes to her. And, and there's a bit of dialogue about water, and she gets a bit confused to begin with. But Jesus essentially says, what I have to give you, the life I have to give you, um, will give you life like nothing else. And she's a changed person. She's suddenly free from shame. She's free from guilt. She comes alive. The way that Jesus serves us is to give us life. He uses power in a way that gives us life. And so when we look at power, we first of all got to understand what, um, what power are we submitting to? What influence are we submitting to? Uh, the, the Old Testament particularly uses this language of idols quite a lot, which is, which is a bit of an odd word. Um, idols we normally think of like carved wooden or gold things, which is what it was in those days. But an idol is a, is a broader thing than that. An idol is anything that promises what only God can give. An idol is anything that promises what only God to, can give. I don't see many people bowing down to a wooden thing anymore. I, I don't know, maybe you do. I don't see it that often. But I do see in our culture we bow down to certain things. We all worship something. We all get our affirmation and our hope and our life from something. The question we've got to ask is, is it, is it giving us what it promises? 
and you know it's an idol because it doesn't give what it promises. And Jesus says, I have come so that you may have life and love and have it abundantly. And idols say, hey, I can give you life, but they don't follow through. And the, the biggest example that Jesus uses over and over again is money, right? Uh, and, and we see time and time again, and I know in our culture it's very obvious that we often look for money to get our um, security in, to get our hope in. When I am rich, then I will be happy, then I'll be satisfied. But the difficulty is sometimes we get that money that we hope for, and we think, I'm just not satisfied. Something isn't right. And we look for more money. And it's this endless cycle where, where money is promising, I will make you happy. But it never does that. And we can do that with a variety of different things, whether it is um, friends. If only I was this kind of popular person, then I would be satisfied. We can do it with family. If only my family was sorted out, then I would be satisfied. We can do it with houses. Right? I bought a house earlier this year. It is so easy for me to look at my glorious house and think, there is my security. But it doesn't make me happy. Right? I've just, we've fixed up our lounge. I'm still not happy. It looks great. I'm still not satisfied. And, 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 and the, the life of a Christian is always one of resting with idols. And, and Jesus says, only I give life. And this is why he asks us not to bow down to idols, but to bow down to him. Because his power is one that gives life. Follow me. Follow me and I will give you life. And it's a wonderful freedom. And the way of following Jesus is one of submitting to him, but submitting to one that causes flourishing in our lives. And some of you have been Christians much longer than me. And you've seen that year after year, as you trust Jesus more, he brings more and more life in you. It's a, it's a wonderful joy. The second thing we look at is redeeming influence. So not only does God come to earth and bear life in us, we actually get to be used by him to shine in this world. One of the things that happened when the curse came to the world is that our image of God, our image bearing of God, was tainted, was marred. Suddenly we weren't able to create, we weren't able to influence, we weren't able to have power in a way that honoured God, in a way that bore life. We'd use our influence in ways that would hurt others, that would hurt this world, that would make everything about ourselves. I, know I, I wrestle with this on a daily basis. It's what pride is. It's, it's making the world about me. That's what pride is. And God says, I created the whole world. I'm a king ruling and reigning. It's about me. And pride is a lie that says, no, this world is entirely about you. And this is a constant wrestle that we have. But when we meet Jesus, something happens in our hearts. There's something called sanctification, where God is making us more like Jesus. And the wonderful thing is that we are restored to be image bearers of God. We, we get to now bear life in this world. Just like Jesus came into this world and bore the ultimate life, we get to follow after him in the things that we create, in the way we influence people, in, in the way we do relationships with people. We can bless people. We can be life givers. And you don't have to be amazingly intelligent. You don't have to be amazingly um, articulate with your words. God said, if my spirit is in you, I'm going to use you to shine like lights. I'm going to use you to be a blessing in a dark world. Isn't that a wonderful promise? Isn't that wonderful that not only he bears life in us, but he also wants to use us? Andy Crouch says this, When power is used well, people and the whole cosmos come more alive to what they were meant to be. 
Isn't that wonderful? When power is used well, people in the whole cosmos come more alive to what they were meant to be. And so this, this changes what our everyday looks like. Think about what you're doing tomorrow, what you're doing on Tuesday, the people you're interacting with, uh, the people you work with, the environments you're in. You have the, the real opportunity to make it a better place. You have the opportunity to be like Jesus and wield power in a way that blesses. Partly because you have the gospel, right? Now, that's obviously a really big blessing. We're able to share with people the hope of the world. That's wonderful. But whether you're sharing the gospel or not, you're able to be an amazing blessing. Jesus, Jesus spent his whole life um, working with um, a broken world. And, and we see in the Gospels, it's really interesting. People don't actually get that he's the Messiah until pretty much the very end. They're really confused, uh, you know, to the degree that some of the people who were loving him one, at one moment were saying, crucify him the next. They were confused people. But yet Jesus bore life in them even before they got the Gospel. So used, people loved him. People were drawn to him. Kids were drawn to him, right? And kids don't fake it, yeah? Some of you know that. They're not going to pretend, oh, you're wonderful. If they don't like you, they will let you know, <laughs> And kids were drawn to him, and people were drawn to him because he was bearing life in people. He gave people a hope. And they didn't, maybe they didn't completely understand the gospel. They didn't under, completely understand what he was coming to bring, but they're like, whatever this guy is doing, I want to be around him. He's bearing life. That doesn't mean we should look for popularity, but we should look to bless people. One of the things that the, the gospel does is it reveals that all of us, no matter what we do, no matter who we are, no matter how important we are, no matter how beautiful we are, no matter how many followers we have on Instagram, we are valuable because we're made in the image of God. And that changes everything. That changes the way that, that Christians should see people, should value people. Because we all have that person at work who's just really difficult to get on with, and you'd rather just ignore them. And uh, you know they use their influence in a way that is destructive, is difficult, is argumentative, and yet we don't have to respond in kind. One of the things that psychologists will bring up, and I am not going to be able to express in the appropriate, eloquent ways, but you see abuse works in cycles, right? So if you have been abused as a kid in one way or another, you are more likely to do that again to your kids, right? And this abuse cycle continues. And it's the same with relationships. If someone has treated you in a certain way, the overwhelming urge is to treat them in kind. They've been horrible to me, so I just want to be horrible back to them. If you're a Christian, this looks very different because we did not honor God. The Bible says that whilst we were still in our sin, Christ died for the unrighteous. Christ died for us whilst we were doing nothing for him. And yet he loved us. He poured out his forgiveness and his righteousness into those who believe and trust in him. And we have this amazing joy of getting to do the same. Hey, that means that tomorrow... Whatever context you're in, whatever difficult people you have to talk to, whatever difficult friendships you've got, gosh, even however difficult your kids are, you are able, you are empowered by God to be a light in their life. You're empowered by God to be a gracious influence in their life. This is wonderful. This changes everything. It means that we don't just have to be going along the um, in the same direction of the culture of wherever it's going. Think of a river, right? When you're stuck in a fast-flowing river, you go whatever direction that river goes. You know? It's really difficult to break out of that. But we're not just isolated, stranded on a raft in the middle of a fast-flowing river. We're not stuck in the cultures we're in. Well, this is a culture of bitterness, therefore I have to be bitter. Right? I'm surrounded by mums who gossip, therefore I have to be a gossip. 
we have the power of Christ in us. And, and God says, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. You are going to be radically different to this world around you. And you look at a fraction of what Jesus has done through ordinary men and women like you and me, or the amazing things that the Holy Spirit has done in the life of believers who have gone into some of the most broken places and shared this wonderful gospel. And they haven't had to be like the world, but they've been a light in the world. And this means something for the, the, the day-to-day, the little conversations we have. We get to be gracious. It's amazing. Now, this does really depend upon not losing our saltiness. There's something about what we're influenced by that will change um, uh, the way that we influence other people. Right? I know this. If, I, if I'm not um, reminded by who Jesus is, by what he's done for me, I, I am less likely to be Jesus' witness. Right? I'm going to be an awful witness. I'm just going to go with whatever my emotions tell me, whatever feels good at the time. And yet, when I'm reminded of who I am in Christ, I just want to exude grace. It's amazing. I um, have had the privilege, uh, I work in Kentish Town, and uh, one of the things you see a lot of in Kentish Town, there are a lot of alcoholics who are on the street, and over a bit of time, I've had the chance to get to know a few of them. Um, and, and alcoholism, some of you may know people who, who struggle with alcoholism, it, it completely consumes you. It is an idol in the sense that it begins by offering you life and it takes from you. And, and you can see in some of these poor people, their life is wasting away. This idol has taken from them and taken from them and taken from them. And yet when we're influenced by God, he's, a, he's an authority that bears life in us. And I've had the, the joy and privilege of getting to know these guys. And they are really difficult. They're really, really difficult. Because for a start, they barely remember anything. right? You have a really good conversation with them. And the next day, they have no idea who you are. Um, and it's tough because they're, you know, sometimes they've clearly got a lot of junk. They are really difficult to love. And yet, the days that I open my Bible and let God speak to me, I just can't hold it in. I want to speak to these guys. God loves you. I don't really know how to explain it to you because I don't understand what you're saying to me. But God loves you. And we have this amazing joy of being a light in whatever context we're in. And, and, and the difficulty is, I could pull out all these different examples, but um, God has all made us all different. He has given us different giftings, different abilities, different personalities. And it means what our influence looks like in someone else's life will look different. So I had a friend this week who um, has a work colleague who's a little bit awkward, um, and she decided, I'm going to take her for lunch. Um, she doesn't hang out with many other people at lunch. I'm going to take her for lunch and ask her about herself. And she basically just had a whole lunchtime talking about cats, which some of you may be a positive thing. Um, but if, you know, it's, it can be tough. Um, but what we're doing is we're saying, you are valuable. You are loved by God. And, and whether you're able to share the majesties of his gospel or not, what you are doing is affirming who they are in God's image, your importance. Whether you talk about cats or not, you matter to Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? Um, I'll go through a whole a bunch of different examples. If, uh, if you're a parent, I, I've really enjoyed being around Eltham. One of the, the joys is being able to be, hear what it's like being a parent. We've got tons of parents here. And hearing the struggles and the joys of it, lots of highs, lots of lows, uh, suddenly whatever's going on in your family is exposed to the whole world in Sainsbury's, right? Um, and it's a wonderful joy. But one of the amazing opportunities you have is you get to mold people's lives. Uh, and, and that's a terrifying thought sometimes. Uh, your kids are going to grow up to look like you. 
how terrifying is that? <laughs> and everything's going to be on display. But at the same time, if Jesus is with you, if you have um, this amazing gospel, you're able to be relentlessly gracious. And, and sure, you can be gracious without knowing Jesus, but there's always a limit. There's always a limit as to how gracious, how much patience, how much forgiveness you can give. When you root yourself in the gospel, um, Jesus gives you this overwhelming amount of love. And you're able, to, um, you're able to relentlessly love these kids who are difficult to love, I hear. All right? This is an amazing joy. Uh, I, I love that uh, I hear so many stories of uh, mums at the school gates and the conversations you get to have. And apparently at the school gates, people clique out a little bit. Like they, they go in groups of, of, of what they're like, the background they're from, uh, similar personalities. The gospel gives us the opportunity to go to people who are completely different to us and be like, Hi. Nice to meet you. And you get to be bold because you know, I, I want to see flourishing. If there are people who are on the outskirts of society who are, who are, who are not, maybe aren't valued, maybe uh, are kind of a little bit awkward, the gospel gives us a heart to go, for these, go to these people. It redeems the influence that we have in our, in our lives, in our workplaces. Some of you, um, maybe you manage teams. This won't be all of us. Uh, some of you manage teams. And you're figuring out, man, how do I be a supervisor? How do I be a boss who, who reflects Jesus? How do, I, how do I wield this influence well? It's a tough one because you've got all of these um, things you need to match up to, all of these corporate policies you need to match up to. At the same time, you've got real targets, right? I think this seeing people as image bearers of God is, is the fundamental truth that will change everything about the way you manage Everything about the way you bless people. This person is valuable, full stop. Their health matters. Health matters to God, and therefore it needs to matter to me. And it's very easy in the working world to um, uh, maybe just reduce someone down to their CV. Yeah? To reduce someone down to, well, what can they give? And Jesus says, no, 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 this needs to be different. You need to, in an appropriate way, obviously, but you need to be concerned about them as a person. And it begins with that. And all of our work context looks different. So outworking of that looks different. I used to work at Starbucks and Starbucks was pretty crazy. Could be a little bit cutthroat sometimes. They had a bit of a revolving door with people and so you didn't really need to care about the well-being of that person. Well, for short-term staff, who cares? But I, I remember really being stirred that these people matter to Jesus. Uh, the, the way I interact with them, the way I help them, the way I help them through, uh, you know, if they're struggling with a job or struggling with uh, the weight of stuff outside of work, um, they matter to Jesus and therefore they should matter to me. And don't get me wrong, this is more tiring. The easier way is just to not care and walk out that door, right? That's so much easier. And we're surrounded by a world that often does that. Uh, and, and we really need to be influenced by God to change a culture rather than just do what's easier. And, and this takes time. It's, it's not a quick fix. But when we're seeing lives transformed, I think it's worth the effort, right? Isn't that good? So I'm going to finish there. I'm going to pray for us. I think as a people... Uh, I love that all of us have a context. All of us have a, a workplace or a bunch of friends, a community that God's given us. And this applies to all of us. What does God want to do in your life? Are you being influenced by God? And how are you influencing for Jesus?